Well, good evening. It's a blessing for me to be tonight with you. Shall we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at the first nine verses of Philippians 4. How many of you have ever worried? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you should be worried. Something's wrong with you. I mean, we all worry from time to time, and it's amazing to me that God has in His Word very clearly given to us instructions on how to deal with worry. So the title of my message this evening is How to Conquer Worry. And if you're like me, you need all the help you can get when it comes to the issue of battling worry. So we're going to look, as I said, at Philippians 4. And our focus is going to be on verses 6 through 9, but let's read the whole section. Let's pray first together, shall we? Father, we are so thankful that we could be together tonight in a place of worship, in a place of fellowship, in a place where we can hear Your Word. Your Word is a lamp to our feet and it is a light into our path. We pray that tonight that You would feed us, that You would teach us, that you would instruct us, and that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the thanks. And it's in his name we pray and everyone agreeing said, Amen. Philippians chapter 4, follow with me as I begin in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow servants whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of peace shall, that the God of peace, which passes, or the peace of God, excuse me, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brethren, verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. If anyone had cause to worry, it was the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a few reasons why Paul could have very easily been worrying at this point. Number one, his beloved Christian friends in Philippi, it seems they they just weren't getting along. Sometimes in the church that happens, Christians don't get along with one another. So in verse 1, he Speaking to them in these endearing terms, my dearly beloved, my long for, my joy, my crown, he exhorts them to stand fast in the Lord, again, 
my dearly beloved. Paul's desire for them was to stand fast together in the Lord. Don't be fighting. Don't be bickering. Don't be arguing. You need to get along together. That could have been cause for Paul to worry. Secondly, there were two women who were disputing in the church. Notice it in verse 2. Paul says, I beseech Eodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what it is that they were disputing about or arguing about. Maybe they both wanted to sing a solo on Sunday morning and one got picked and the other didn't. Or they wanted to be in charge of the woman's knitting guild or something. I don't know. H.A. Ironside said the problem was that one was odious and the other one was soon touchy. That's why they weren't getting along together. But whatever it was, again, these two women just couldn't seem to get along together in the church in Philippi. And then it seems that there were false teachers that had invaded the church in Philippi. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Paul is talking there about false teachers. And he's most likely referring to those who were called Judaizers. They were Jews who were telling Gentile believers, you can't be saved unless you also become Jews. So they were Judaizing the Gentiles. You have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or you cannot be saved. So this again was a problem for Paul. He could have been worried about. But lastly, Paul himself was in prison And his future was uncertain. Yes, Paul, it would seem, had every reason to worry. Paul's in chains. Philippians is one of the prison epistles of Paul. Yet Paul is talking in this epistle about his joy and about the need to rejoice in the Lord. Paul was not worried. He was rejoicing in the Lord. The theme of the book of Philippians is joy. In these short four chapters, about 19 times, you have the word joy or rejoice mentioned. So it's about the joy of the Lord. Now, the reason Paul could rejoice and not worry in spite of his circumstances, in spite of people, in spite of things, in spite of worry that would attack him, was in this chapter, chapter 4, Paul had a secure Mind. I want you to notice it with me in verse 7. Paul mentions the peace of God which passes all understanding. He says it will keep your hearts, and notice this, minds through Christ Jesus. Keep your hearts and your minds. So Paul had a secure mind. When you have a secure mind, the peace of God guards you, and the God of peace, verse 9, guides you. He also had, as I mentioned, the joy of the Lord. How wonderful it is to have the joy of the Lord. Notice it with me for just a moment in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation, the word means your gentleness, your forbearance, your reasonableness, be known unto all men because the Lord is at Hand, the idea means that the Lord is near. The Lord is with us. Therefore, we ought to be rejoicing. 
Now, I mentioned the theme of Philippians is joy, right? Did you know that every one of these chapters opens with a, a little phrase, in the Lord, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus? Real quickly, turn back to chapter 1 for just a moment with me to verse 1. And I'll, I'll show you exactly what I mean. In verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul says that uh, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, and here it is, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. The secret to your joy, the secret to my joy, the secret of gaining victory over worry is found where? In the Lord. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any tender mercies and compassion. But notice again, chapter 2, verse 1, in Christ, that little phrase. Then you see in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice where? In the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And then you come to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my crown, stand fast in the Lord. It's so important for you to realize that tonight. Your joy is not in circumstances. You say, well, I know that. Well, nothing's going right for me right now. Toilet overflowed today. My blessings overflow. My car is broken. I've lost my job. I've lost my health. Nothing seems to be going right. But you know, if you are focusing on the Lord and your relationship to Him, in spite of your circumstances, you can have joy. The idea there is that we have the single mind. Paul said in chapter 1, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. So no matter what's going on with me, I may be in prison. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm living for Christ. I'm focused on Christ at a single mind. Do you know you can have joy in spite of people too? Now, that may be hard for you to believe given some of the people that hang around you. I'm from Southern California. It's hard to drive the freeways and have joy in spite of people out there. It's like the little boy that was driving with his mother one night and said, Mom, we're all the idiots. She said, what do you mean, idiots? She said, well, he said, well, when I was with dad today out driving, there were idiots everywhere. (laughs) Where are they, mom? It's hard to maintain joy in spite of people. They are mean to me. They are rude to me. They actually honk their horn at me on the freeway. They cut in front of me in line and they say mean things. You know, it's just so hard to have joy in spite of people. But the key to joy in spite of people is having a submissive mind where Paul says in chapter 2 that we should consider the interest of others more important than our own. Look not every man on his own things or interests, but every man on the interests or the concerns of others and have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus, though being in the very form of God, thought equality with God, not something to cling to or hold on to, but he emptied himself and took on him the form of a servant. When we come with a humble mind and we start to serve others, then people won't be able to rob us of our joy. In chapter 3, we can have joy that is in spite of things. Sometimes when we don't have the things that we want, the new house, the new car, the clothes, the job, the wife, you're looking at your wife, you're getting depressed. 
you're looking at your husband and you're thinking, Lord, uh, he needs to be healed, you know, and he needs deliverance. Demon of lethargy, come out. And go mow thou the backyard or something, you know. How wonderful it is to have our joy in the Lord. It may not come from your husband. It may not come from your wife. It may not come from your children. It may not come from your job. But it can certainly come from the Lord. And then we come to chapter 4. Joy that defeats worry. The key to joy that defeats worry is the secure mind. The mind that is guarded and garrisoned by the peace of God. You say, well, what exactly is worry? Notice in verse 6, Paul says, Be careful for nothing. Now I'm reading from the King James translation. The word careful there means to be pulled in different directions. Our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And thus we are pulled apart. Our English word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle. How interesting. Our worries can absolutely strangle us. Our hopes pulling us this way and our fears pulling us this way. And we, see just, we seem to be just strangled and, and unable to really experience the peace that God wants us to have. Paul says that we should not be anxious. We should not worry. We should not fret. The consequences of worry can be physical, it can be social, it can be spiritual. Worry is wrong thinking, the mind, and wrong feeling, the heart. In verse 7, he mentions our hearts being kept and our minds through Christ Jesus. I have these emotions, I'm afraid. I have these thoughts, they're plaguing me. I'm filled with fear. And so we need to have joy that defeats worry. A joy that brings the peace of God. That in spite of my circumstances, in spite of people, in spite of things, in spite of my fears and my doubts and my worries, that I can have peace in my heart and the joy of the Lord in my soul. How can I conquer worry? The answer is given to us in three easy steps from verse 6 down to verse 9. If you're taking notes, they're simple. You can write them down. And go over them again and remember them. Three things that I I think that Paul tells us we need to do if we are going to win the battle over worry. The first thing that we need to do is pray right. Verse 6 and 7. Paul says, don't worry about anything, verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, And notice the results, verse 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If I'm going to win over worry, the first thing I need to do is not only pray, but I need to learn to pray properly. I love Kenneth Taylor's paraphrase in the Living Bible of this verse. He says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and do not forget to thank Him for His answers. Isn't that awesome? When Paul says that we should pray about everything, that means what? Everything. Isn't that profound? 
Little things, big things, things that we think that God would be unconcerned about. My wife is an amazing woman. She's a woman of prayer. She prays fervently. I thank the Lord for her. But she even prays over the dog food in the morning. You know, She's feeding our dog and she's saying, Lord, just bless this to Hunter's body right now as he eats his food. I'm thinking, what are you doing? It's a dog. I know, but the Lord can bless his food to his body. Okay. But there's a beautiful just simplicity and sincerity and a relationship there of just talking to the Lord. You lose your keys. That's another thing my wife does that amazes me. She'll say, have you prayed about it? They're lost. I know. Pray about it. I lose my keys and I pray and I find them. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Okay. And you know what? It never fails. I hate it. <laughs> she goes, let's pray. Lord, just uh, pray that you help John find his keys. You open your eyes and they're sitting on the counter, you know. <laughs> like this is weird. But everything that is involved in your life, you need to pray. Now, you might be worried tonight about something that, if you're honest, you haven't really prayed about. You haven't taken it to the Lord. You haven't cast your care upon Him. You're carrying this burden. You're carrying this weight. You're telling the pastors. You're telling your friends. You're telling the gas station attendant. You're telling everybody else. You know, all nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know. (laughs) But you haven't told the Lord. You need to learn how to pray. Pray about everything. Note that Paul did not just simply say, pray about it. He tells us specifically how to pray. First of all, he tells us to pray with adoration. Notice it in verse 6. He tells us that we should in everything by prayer. Now the word prayer there is the general word for prayer that denotes as well the idea of worship, praise, or adoration. And so when you come before the Lord and you're going to pray about your worries, your anxieties, it sometimes is helpful to actually start with praise. Begin to worship the Lord. This is loving and enjoying the presence of God and honoring Him in worship. The best way to get rid of worry is worship, realizing that God is big enough to solve my problems. Begin to worship His beauty of His holiness and His wisdom and His power and His His his, his guidance and direction in your life and the, the fact that He's with you everywhere you go and just begin to thank the Lord. And many times, as you begin to worship the Lord and you, as the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and you look full in His wonderful face, the things of earth grow faintly dim in the light of His glory and grace. Praise the Lord. You realize that God loves me. He's big enough to take care of this. Secondly, you should pray with supplication. In verse 6, Paul mentions supplication. Supplication is earnest, sincere praying from the heart. This is the kind of praying that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where He went face down into the ground and He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. It's earnest prayer, fervent prayer. Someone said what God wants is not carnal energy, but spiritual intensity. How true that is. 
Do you pray with supplication? When was the last time you ever were really broken before God or wept before God or were in earnest before God? Usually it's some calamity that has to come into our lives that brings us to that place of earnest supplication. Thirdly, we should pray with appreciation. In verse 6 he says, With thanksgiving. Thanking our Father in heaven who loves us for all of the things that He has given to us. Again, when you pray, do you ever stop to just say, Lord, thank You? What do you think about the friends that you have that only come around when they need something? You see them pull up in front of your house and you pull the shades and lock the door. and You go run and hide in the closet, you know. You know they're going to want to borrow money or do something and, and uh, hit you up in some way. And it's like, I, I don't want to deal with that. How do you think the Lord feels when all we ever do is ask of Him? Rather than saying, Lord, I love You. You've blessed me. Thank You for this and thank You for that and thank You for this blessing and thank You for that. I used to love the old song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. We've changed that today. Count Your Bummers, Name Them One by One. Count your many bummers. See what God has not done. Thanksgiving. Remember when Jesus healed ten lepers? How many of the ten lepers came back to say thank you? Only one. I think the the ratio is probably about the same today. About one out of ten Christians really take the time to say thanks to the Lord. And then notice we should pray with request in verse 6. Making your request known unto God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says we should cast all our cares upon Him because what? He cares for us. Great verse in the Bible, by the way, because it actually says He cares for you. Tonight I want you to know that God actually cares about you. We get this idea that God so loved the world collectively. But God doesn't really care about me individually. That's not true. God knows you intimately and He's concerned for you individually. Now I want you to notice the result of right praying in verse 7. This is wonderful. When we pray, not only in pray right, but we pray fervently and thankfully and We make our request known unto God. Then the peace of God, verse 7, which passes understandings, then and only then it keeps guards or garrisons our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. Now, a little footnote quick before I move on. You would think that Paul would say to those who pray properly that God will give them their requests, but he doesn't do that. You would think he would say, if we pray just like this, wow, whatever it is you ask, God will give it to you. Some preachers tend tend, tend to preach that way and make you think that whatever you ask, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, you shall receive. But that's not what Paul says. You may ask for specific things and God may not give them to you. Paul in 2 Corinthians asked God to remove a thorn that was in his flesh, and he prayed three times. And I'm sure he prayed fervently and earnestly and sincerely. And God said, no, I'm not going to take away that thorn in your flesh. I gave it to you to keep you humble. And keeping you humble keeps you useful. 
And so I'll give you grace to be able to handle what you got to go through. And so Paul says, that's great. Your grace now is sufficient for me. And your strength will be made perfect in my weakness. And something that's hard for the natural man to understand, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my weaknesses. Why would you do that, Paul? Because when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul learned to rely upon the all-sufficient grace of God. And you and I need to learn to rely upon the all-sufficient grace of God. Now, notice what the results are, though. The peace of God will keep your hearts and minds. Now, this is the peace of God in contrast to peace with God. Do you know the difference? It's important for you to know the difference. Peace with God is salvation. The peace of God is sanctification. Peace with God is what happens to you when you're born again or born from above or when you're saved or regenerated. It's the theological term. When you become new in Christ and you you become a Christian, you have peace with God. The Bible says before we were saved... We were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. We were fighting against God. And now that I've surrendered to Him, I have peace with God. But now you see, as I begin to walk with the Lord as a Christian, I begin to experience the peace of God in my soul. You see, God wants you to experience His peace on earth right now. D.L. Moody put it like this. He said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven. A lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. You know, a lot of Christians are saved and they're going to heaven, but they're freaking out all the way. When we flew into Albuquerque today, I don't know what it is about this place, but man, it was windy. The plane's going boom, 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 bang, bang, boom, boom, bang, 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 and throwing us around. And people are, wow, wow, <laughs> screaming and freaking out. I was on a plane once and this poor woman, white knuckled, had the seat in front of her and she was just so scared. Ah, 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 and she's shaking the seat. You know, I felt sorry for the person sitting in the seat. But I'll never forget this. She's screaming, she's freaking out, she's shaking the seat and standing in the aisle was this little five-year-old boy eating a big cookie, cowboy hat, boots on, and he's just eating well, Poor woman, you know, why didn't you want to buy a cookie? Why don't you relax and enjoy the ride? Now, the plane landed. Woman got off. Little boy got off. I got off. All the passengers got off. We all arrived safely. Some enjoyed the ride. Some freaked out the whole way. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to heaven. If you're a Christian, you're going to get there safe. But some enjoy the journey, some do not. Some are on their way to heaven, but they're living in hell right now. That's sad. You can see it when you look at them. They look like they've been baptized in lemon juice or something. (laughs) They got the plague. Sad. Yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die, but man, it's a real bummer until we get there, you know. You go, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what someone just did to me. Where's your joy? 
It's not in circumstance. It's not in people. It's not in things. It's in the Lord. Paul says, you can experience the peace of God in your soul. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace because his mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I want you to notice in this text three things about God's peace. Notice in verse 7, it transcends all understanding. It transcends all understanding. The peace of God, which Paul says, passeth understanding, all understanding. It means that it's foreign to the unsaved. As a Christian, when you come to work on Monday morning and you are actually smiling, people feel like beating you up. A Christian smiling Monday morning. Let's smack him in the face. Hate that. A Christian smiling. You know, their heads are still throbbing from the hangover and the, you know, spending the weekend having at the happy hour at the bar, you know. There's no joy. Or when you go through a difficult time and an unbeliever is watching you and they, they don't know why you're not freaking out. It transcends all understanding. And for the believer as well, It is unexplainable by the saved. I can't explain the peace. I've just lost my husband and I have a peace in my heart. I'm saddened. I'm grieving. But yet I have this deep-seated peace. They've gone to be with the Lord and one day I can be reunited together with them. How wonderful that hope is. And the unbeliever looks on. He's scratching his head. and They're asking you and you're saying, I don't know, but I, I just know the Lord is in control. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. How about you this evening? Are you experiencing the Lord's peace? Do you have the peace of God in your soul? Do you have a mind that is being kept by God's peace? Notice secondly that God's peace keeps your heart. In verse 7, Paul says that it guards or keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word is a military word, keep there. It means to guard or to garrison or to protect. Interesting because remember Paul was writing these words in a Philippian jail, right? He was in chains. He's looking on a soldier standing guard or garrison over him. And no doubt Paul was thinking in terms of the fact that God's peace is a protection around his soul and around his mind. There were probably thick walls surrounding Paul the Apostle when he penned these words. And Paul is saying, God's peace is like a wall surrounding my mind, surrounding my heart and protecting me against worry. Worry is a really sad thing in the life of the believer robs God of glory. It robs you of your witness. Robs you of being effective as a believer and ministering to other people. It keeps your hearts. It guards you. Remember the book of Daniel chapter 6 when Daniel spent the night in a den of lions. I don't know about you, but I'm not really into big old giant lions and sleeping with them in a den. That's freak out time. And yet Daniel spent the night with them. And I think what gave Daniel the victory in the lion's den was chapter 6 of Daniel says he prayed, he gave thanks before God, 
and he made supplications. So Daniel probably just said, Lord, it belongs to you. I'm committed. If these lions eat me, I'm in your hands. If they don't me, I'm in your hands. If they, you know, uh, you know, maul me to death, then, you know, Lord, you know all about it. Well, the king, he spent the whole night pacing up and down in his palace and didn't sleep a wink. He had this beautiful palace and all this wealth and all these treasures, but he spent the night worrying. Daniel was hanging out with lions and he spent the night sleeping, you know, laying on a big lion rug. Just here, kitty, 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 kitty. You don't have to have all the things that the world affords to be able to go to bed at night and sleep. You know, that's a blessing that money can't buy. That's a blessing that comes from the Lord to be able to have rest in your soul. So we need to pray right, which brings the peace of God that transcends understanding, keeps our hearts. And thirdly, I want you to notice that this peace is through Jesus there in verse 7. It's through Christ Jesus. Heard the story of a man that was pacing the floor one night in the bedroom and he woke his wife up. It's about 3 a.m. in the morning and she's saying, what is wrong with you? You're keeping me up. Why can't you sleep? He said, I can't help it. I borrowed $1,000 from Sam next door, their neighbor, and I have to pay him back tomorrow and I don't have the money. Well, she threw off their covers and anger and threw the window open and started yelling next door, Sam! Sam, wake up! Sam heard his name and he rubbed his eyes and woke up and she said, you know that thousand dollars my husband owes you? He hasn't got it. She slammed the window and turned back to her husband and said, now you go to bed and sleep. Let him get up and worry about it. I like it. Why should I be worried about it? He's the one that uh, I owe the money to. Casting all your cares upon him, he cares for you. Why should you carry them? Why should you be burdened with them? Why not give them to the Lord? The second thing we need to do is we need to think right. If I'm going to gain victory over worry, I need to think right. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, what are we supposed to do? Think. You know the second most often repeated word in the book of Philippians is? It's the word mind. Your mind matters. And if you're going to gain victory over worry, you've got to get your mind thinking on the right things. Negative anxiety must be replaced by positive habits. After praying, a believer must get on his, or a believer must get uh, his mind on the things of the Lord, involved in focusing on the Lord. So Paul tells us several things that we should think about. I want you to notice them in this text real quick. Whatsoever is true. The word means truthful as opposed to falsehood or error. Secondly, whatsoever is honest or noble, it signifies worthy of reverence and respect. So it's not, if it's not respectable, don't think about it. Thirdly, we should think about whatever is just or right in relation to God and man. 
Now, we know what is right and wrong by the Word of God. The Scriptures tell us what is right and what is wrong. So it's meditating, meditating on the Word and meditating on Christ. And then we, fourthly, should think about whatever is pure, verse 8. That means morally pure. It is unstained by evil of any kind. As believers, we need to guard what we watch in the media and in movies and videos and we look at and read in magazines because our thoughts are stimulated by the eye gates. We need to be careful. We need to think on things that are pure. And then fifthly, whatever is lovely. That means ethically beautiful or attractive. It brings peace and rest. Or lastly, whatever is of good reports. They contain no immoral or sexually suggestive innuendos. If there be any virtue, Paul says, if there be any praise, think on these things. Warren Worsby said that it has, if it has virtue, it will motivate us to do better. If it has praise, it is worth commending to others. No Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that tear him down or that would tear others down if those thoughts were shared. Tell me tonight, what do you think about? You think about what is pure. You think about what is lovely. You think about what is virtuous. You think about what is praiseworthy. You think about getting even. You think about what people have done to you and you just kind of like muse on it and kind of go over and over in your mind what a horrible thing that was that they did to me and that they really deserve to be you know, punished by it and you're going to get it. You think about what is right or good or virtuous. Think on those things. In Psalm 119, verse 165, the psalmist said, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. You need to think on the right things. Negative thoughts, anxiety, and worry needs to be replaced by positive thoughts, the things that are pure and holy and right. There's one last thing you need to do. It's verse 9, and that you need to live right. Pray right, think right, and live right. Those are three easy steps to win over worry. Notice verse 9, Paul says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do... And the God of peace shall be with you. You cannot experience the peace of God in your heart and mind when you are living in disobedience to the God of peace. Did you hear what I said? If you are living in sin, you will not be able to win over worry. If you regard iniquity in your heart and you purposely allow sin to be in your heart, no wonder there's no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. They're like the troubled sea. They're always turning. There's, there's no real rest there. It's important that we learn to confess our sin to God. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in doing that, we also need to forsake our sin. To turn from our sin. Sin always brings unrest. Purity brings peace. Notice that Paul in verse 9 balanced four activities. Learned, 
and received. And then he mentions heard and seen. You know, to the Jew, you haven't really learned something until you've put it into practice. You haven't really understood something until you apply it to your life. We get this idea that knowledge is enough. Information is all I need. But what God wants is a transformation. The goal of Bible study is not an enlightened intellect. It's a transformed character. And I would ask you that come week after week to Calvary and you listen to the teaching of the Word and how blessed you are for the pastor that teaches the Word of God. Is it changing your life? Is it transforming your character? Is it making you more like Jesus Christ? Or is this kind of just a weekly ritual routine that you go through, but the Word of God doesn't really affect the way you think and the way you pray and the way you live. So Paul says in verse 9, the things which you have learned, received, and heard, and seen, what? Do. I've circled that little word do in my Bible. It's an important word. The word do there is a verb which emphasizes constant practice and a habitual lifestyle. That's why James says in chapter 1 of his epistle, verse 22, Be ye what? Doers of the word, not hearers only. If you're only a hearer of the word and not a doer, then you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. You know, Philippians 4 is the great peace chapter of the New Testament. James chapter 4 is the great war chapter. It's interesting. Two contrasts between war and peace. James 4 begins with this question, From whence come fightings and war among you? And he gives us the answer, Come they not hence even of your lust, which war in your members. He said there are three things that cause war in your soul. Number one, wrong praying. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Secondly, wrong thinking. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And then thirdly, wrong living. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. You see, the decision is yours tonight. You want war or you want peace? You want struggle going on, being torn in two different directions? We are troubled and we are worried about so many things. God wants us to learn to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. God wants us to get our minds set not on things of the earth, but things above. And God wants us to begin to put into action, shoe leather, the principles that we know and we've learned and we've seen in the Word of God. If you're practicing sin tonight, you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to turn. Because there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this evening that we can learn these Simple but important steps to gain victory over worry. And we do pray that you will help us to cast all of our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. We ask that you'll help us to set our minds, our affections on things above, not on things of this earth. We ask that you'll help us, Lord, tonight to be doers of the word, not hearers only to put into practice the things that we've heard, to put into practice the things that we've learned, 
Oh God, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to those that are worried tonight, that are filled with cares, anxieties, and fears. Remind them, Lord, of how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much you want to carry them and protect them, Lord, in the midst of the storm. You know, just in this very few seconds in closing, why don't you take this time to say, Lord, I cast all of my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens on you. I give you my fears. I give you my doubts. Pray to him. Talk to him. Little things, big things, doesn't matter. He just wants to hear from you. And then why don't you exercise the discipline of a mind that is set on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your mind on things that are pure and holy and lovely and good. And just refuse to think about those things that are negative and sinful. And then tonight, surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to help you to live for Him who died for you. Say, Lord, help me to put into practice your word. I know what I need to do. Lord, help me to begin to put into practice your word. Father, do this in hearts tonight. Do this in lives tonight. Work by your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone agreeing said,